all these famous questions that people ask non-stop, we will address in this lecture, and we will supply scientific proof to every one of these questions, as I mentioned. For instance, to create a table, you don't have to be a genius. You learn one or two hours, and you understand the concept, how it works. To create a computer, you need perhaps years of learning and experience. The computer indicates how great is the creator of the computer as opposed to somebody who just made a, a, a table. In that case, when we review our world, the brilliance of the creation of this world, billions of billions of stars and billions of galaxies, everything works in order. We look at the human being, which is the most sophisticated thing in nature, just the brain of the human being, 10 trillion connections, just for, for the argument's sake. If we take all the media companies in the world, all the telecommunication companies, all the satellites, all the wiring, every phone number that people has in the entire world, combine all of them together, it will not reach 1% of a brain of one individual. And this is one person only. Multiplied by 6.4 billion people that run around in this world, uh, look at the previous generation, adds all of them together, we're talking about tens of billions of people each one of them with the brain and ligaments and muscles and liver and heart and many other things, is it possible to think that this entire creation was made by itself that some people trying to claim? The answer is absolutely not. Nobody would ever believe that even a watch, if a person has a watch and he claimed that the watch was made by a random explosion, you just walked on the street and there was an explosion and all the pieces came together and connected and now it's working for the last few hours. Nobody will take that person serious. On top of that, this is only a watch. Imagine trying to say that the brain of a person was created by some kind of development. It started with an explosion and slowly, slowly, you know, pieces came together into place and now it's working such a sophisticated computer. For those who didn't know, the brain is 80%, 80% water, 20% material. And the size of the brain is like the size of a, an orange, an average orange. And inside this brain, it's all connected in such a sophisticated way to claim that something like this was able to be created by itself without a creator, it's insane. It's not, it doesn't make any sense. Nobody even believed what he claimed for those people who claim that something like this can come out of just randomly. So the answer is, for sure there is a creator. The fact that we don't know him yet doesn't mean he doesn't exist. We see that everything that the human being needs in the world, he has plenty. For instance, oxygen. One minute without oxygen, a person died, or two or three minutes. But the point is that oxygen, everybody needs everywhere in the world, there was always oxygen, everywhere. We never have shortage of oxygen anywhere we go. Imagine if sometimes there's no oxygen, we have to walk with balloons on our back for emergency that it will happen one day. How life would look. Then the second thing the person needs is water. You have water all over, 72% of the world is water. Then he needs food. We are not talking fancy food, just food to survive, bread. It's a few dollars a week, he can survive. Problem today is that people have big eyes and they want unlimited uh, pleasure and all kinds of uh, bombastic meals. Well, we're not talking about this kind of desires. We're talking just food to survive. The more luxurious is the thing that a person is after, it's getting harder to get it. Why? It's not a necessity. Then one of the other questions we have to address today, is it life after death? As Judaism claim, we have to prove all this. So let's start. According to the Torah, when the Jews received the Torah 3,320 years ago in Mount Sinai, there was 49 days after the exodus of Egypt. The Jews, the Hebrews, I should say, were in Egypt for 210 years, many generations of slavery. 
Finally, Moses was chosen by God to be the messenger, to be the leader and take the Jews out of Egypt. As the famous classical story, the Jews exodus Egypt through the ocean and 49 days, which is exactly seven weeks after, they stood around Mount Sinai, millions of people, and saw God and Moses having a conversation. The truth is that only the first two commandments from the ten were given to Moses publicly. Everybody heard the first two commandments. I am the God that took you out of Egypt. That's the first commandment. The second commandment that everybody heard was, you should not have any other God but me. When God came to say the third commandment, as we read in the Torah, in the chapter of Jethro, the Jews were panicking, they just couldn't tolerate the event, and they say to Moses, please, we can't take this, we're very scared, why don't you go up to the mountain, speak to this God, and everything he wants us to do, we are willing to do. No questions asked. Later we'll understand. First we do. After all the proofs we saw, we don't have that much to investigate. That was the idea. And Moses told them, don't be afraid. God is not here to arm you. He's only testing you to see are you faithful enough to follow his laws. And that's how it started. That's basically the beginning, the foundation of Judaism. So we review in the Torah many of the things that affect our life every day. And it's all come down to one question. Is it possible to prove 100% scientifically that this Torah is divine, is really the word of God, especially when we have a combination of written and oral Torah, two Torahs. One is the written famous book that everybody knows all over the world. But the most important one is the oral laws. It's all the instructions that were given to Moses and he passed it to the rabbis and from generation to generation, all of that we have to address. Is it possible to prove 100%? All this thing is divine, and that's what we're going to do now. The beginning point, if the Torah was given by God to us as we know, we cannot find any mistakes there. If we're going to find a human error in the Torah, it would make everything else doubtable. Plenty of doubts. How do I know? It's not a second mistake. How can I rely on a book that I already found one human error there? First, it's an indication that there is human interference there. And therefore, since human modified it, even if God gave it, human modified it, we cannot rely on it. Second, maybe it's 100% human. We're not going to dedicate our life and change our habits according to the orders of this book if we're going to have a doubt if this book is divine. It won't be the, the most clever thing to do. So we have to understand, is it possible to be proven? The answer is absolutely yes. As I'm continuing, today we have more than 80,000 religions and cults in the world and it's growing tremendously. The first religion, in a right chronological order, is Judaism. It started 3,320 years ago. There were many cults before that, as the Torah described. People worship the sun, they worship the moon, all kinds of false belief. But the first public religion that started in front of millions of witnesses 3,320 years ago is the Torah. It's the foundation of Judaism. Then only 1,300 years later, about 2,000 years ago, Christianity started. Islam is less than 1,400 years old. So basically Christianity is only 1,300 years after Judaism started. And Islam is 2,000 years approximately after Judaism started. What about Buddhism? There was a person named Buddha 2,400 years ago. So that's still 900 years after Judaism started. What's the main difference between Judaism to all the other religions and cults that started after? One of the main differences is that every other religion and cult started with the story of one person. 
Nobody, none of these people who brought their book or brought their claims to the public were able to supply even one sufficient proof that the angel spoke to them or God really gave them a book or a mission. None of them. I'll give you an example. Obviously, we don't have time to waste on uh, reviewing 80,000 religions and cults. So we'll, we'll speak about the three major ones or the fourth major one. We'll start with Islam. Uh, in Islam, the story is that one day Muhammad came and claimed that Angel Gabriel gave him the Quran. And that's how it starts, and he nominated him to be another prophet after all the prophets. He never claimed that what took place until now was incorrect. The opposite. In the Quran, major parts of it speaking about God gave the land to the Jews, and Moses, which they call him Musa, but it's the same person, he's the prophet of God. And if we have questions from the Quran, we have to review in the Torah. This is all appear in the Quran. And there's no doubt that the Torah was given to the Jews. He just claimed that he is another prophet of the list. The last one. Did he bring any witness that the angel gave him the Quran? The answer, absolutely not. Not even one witness. Later, when we review the Quran, we find many human errors. And I have all the sources with the surahs where it appears in the Quran. It can be reviewed. So, no witnesses. We are reviewing the book. We see human errors. Is it possible to think that God makes such human errors? Let's give one or two examples of what does it mean, human errors. Uh, you know, he takes some figures from Judaism, like Pharaoh. It's appeared in the Old Testament, in the Torah. And he's speaking about Pharaoh has, in, has a meeting with Haman. Haman was a minister in the time of Persia, in the, in the king of Hashverosh. Haman was born approximately 900 to 1,000 years after the last Pharaoh died. There's a 1,000 years difference between the Pharaohs and the time of Haman in Persia. Pharaoh was in Egypt, Haman was in Persia. According to the Quran, Surah 40 36-37, it says that Pharaoh and Haman and their advisor were sinners. They copied that part right. And Pharaoh told his servants, I know you have no other God but me, which means he made himself God. They learned it also from the Torah. And as we continue, it says that I want you to build me a tower that I can go all the way up etc etc but the point here that Pharaoh and Haman could never see each other the person who wrote that book made a mistake in the right chronological order of gen the generations and he thought that Haman and Pharaoh lived at the same time and he made up an appointment or a meeting between them which could never take place as we continue another example we know that in history, Moses and Aaron were brothers, and they had one sister, her name was Miriam. And also in history, there was another famous Miriam, Maria, Mary, depend what nationality you come from. And this Mary was the mother of J.C., Jesus. She, he's Mary, the mother of J.C., which lived approximately 2,000 years ago in the Quran, in Surah 28, verse 7 to 9, it says, it's speaking about the wife of Pharaoh raising Moses. Now we all know since the Muslims admit that the Jews received the Torah, in our Torah, which was 2,000 years before, it says that the daughter of Pharaoh, her name was Batya, she's the one who found Moses in the Niles, and she took him out and raised him. Not the wife of Pharaoh, the daughter. They made a mistake, they wrote that she was the wife of Pharaoh. Critical mistake, human error. And she says to the people after she found the baby, don't kill him. Maybe we will have a need for him. He will come for us. And they give all kinds of examples. But the main thing here is that he could never be the wife of Pharaoh because it was the daughter of Pharaoh and he admitted that the Torah was given to the Jews in public. Another mistake, in Surah 19, 27, 28, it says that Virgin Mary... She is the mother of J.C., of Jesus, according to Christianity, the New Testament. They speak about her in the Quran. 
And all of a sudden we find out that this Mary, Miriam in Hebrew, she is the same Mary or Miriam that lived 1300 years prior to that. Which Miriam they claim that it's the same Miriam? The sister of Moses and Aaron, which lived 1300 years before. They mix between two different women, that their name is Miriam and Miriam, and they made them into one person. And they claim now that Maria, Mary, or Miriam, she brought the baby in her hand to the people of their town, and they say, oh, Mary, Maria, what did you bring here? You're, you are the sister of Aaron. Your father wasn't a bad man, and your mother was not a prostitute, which means how you became pregnant if you're not married. So they made the mother of J.C. the sister of Moses. Such critical mistake that even kids in first grade is unlikely to make. And right after that, Surah 66, 12, it says, Maria, the daughter of Amram. Amram is the father of Moses and Aaron. So obviously, they mix between those two individuals. And obviously, God cannot make such foolish mistakes. Many other examples, but of course this is not the uh, subject of this lecture. I just use it as an example for us to understand how do we define er human errors in a book that claim to be the work of God. As we continue, I would like to speak a little bit about the New Testament, Christianity. This was written approximately 2,000 years ago. The Christians admit that the Jews received the Torah in Mount Sinai. They just called the Jewish Torah the Old Testament. And they claim that God gave part B, which means where the prophets ended, comes now the story of Mary and Joseph that get engaged. And then he goes out of town and he comes back and he sees fiance is pregnant. And what's going on, he asks. And she said, God came to me and made me pregnant. This boy will be something special. This is how it starts. And when we review uh, how the New Testament begins with this story, we find something very, very critical. First, the book describes more than 30 generations between King David to Joseph the Carpenter. What's the point? The point is to link Joseph the Carpenter to the family of King David. Why? Because since they admit that the Torah is the work of God, in the Torah, it says that the Messiah must be a descendant of the family of King David. Has to be a direct connection. That's why they're trying to prove that Joseph, the husband of Mary, he is a grand-grand-grandson of King David. So far, everything is clear. Just when they finish describing all the generations... They write that Joseph has nothing to do with the baby. He went away, and when he came back, she was pregnant, and she claimed that God made her pregnant. So the question is, who is the mother of J.C.? The answer is Mary. Everybody saw. No doubt about that. Who is the father? The answer that Christian will say is God. The question we ask is God is a grandson of King David? King David is the grandfather of God? Obviously not. Why did you waste almost the whole full page describing more than 30 generations to link Joseph to King David because he wanted to show that J.C. is the son of Joseph and he's the Messiah because Joseph came from King David. But then you made a critical mistake. You just wrote that Joseph is not the father. Do you really think that God would give a book with such critical mistake? something to think about. Many other mistakes appear in the New Testament, even more than the Quran. Uh, the, men, the more years are going by, we find many, many different texts. For instance, there is more than 150,000 different texts, which means if you compare one New Testament to the other, you find many different texts. In the Quran, they have hundreds of different versions. The Torah, the Jewish Torah, which is double or triple the amount of time than Christianity and Islam, all the nations were running after the Jews to destroy their Torah. The Jews were moving from one exile to the other. And when the Jews united together in Israel 50, 60, or 80 years ago, they started to come to Israel. They all brought with them the ancient Torah scroll. 
And it was all the same Torah everywhere in the world. Even though there was no internet, no connection, no telephones, they couldn't know about other communities in the world. Manually with a feather and ink, they were writing 304,805 letters. And it's all the same. Everywhere you go, it's the Torah is the same. The New Testament, more than 150,000 different versions. I once asked the Christian professor in one of our debates, I asked him, tell me, if I have a diamond, which is a $100 million diamond, original one, and I came to present the diamond to the crowd, and each one of the people from the crowd has a special diamond ready to throw at me as soon as I take my real diamond out. But all the other diamonds is a complete, perfect, fake diamonds. Just when I presented the diamond, all of them threw their diamonds at me. And then what? My real diamond got mixed with all the fake diamonds. There's no way to tell. What happened to my diamond? It's gone. The value will never be the same. Every diamond you pick up, it's 1% or 5% chance that maybe it's real. Nobody will pay you $100 million for it. So I told him, even if your claim is real, that really the New Testament was given by God, it's gone from the world because the original copy will never be found. You have 150,000 different modified book that even if it was divine, it's gone because it was modified completely. Different dates, different names, parts are missing, different spelling mistakes. You can see, you can check, 150,000. Everyone copied manually in the old days, 2,000 years ago, before printing was invented. And it's enough that each person made a mistake in one letter. Every person has a different text than his friend because he has one letter wrong than the other one. And the other one has a different letter wrong. And over the years, 2,000 years, or I should say 1,500 years until they started to print. And that's why you have so many different texts. The Muslims were more careful with the Quran to try to copy it in the original way, but people are people and people are subject to human error. That's why there are hundreds of different versions of the Quran. So, one other mistake in the New Testament, in Act 7, it says that uh, Jacob went to Egypt with 75 people. We all know that when we review in the Torah, the Torah says clearly that Jacob went to Egypt when his son Joseph was already uh, the assistant of the king Pharaoh, Jacob went to Egypt with 70 people. But what happened to God? He forgot. In the New Testament, it says 75 people. And obviously it's a human error. There are, as I said before, more examples of such human errors such as this. And I'll give one last example and we move on. Uh, according to Christianity in Matthew 5, verse 17 to 19, there is a will, actually a direction of Jesus to his students. He was a Jew and he died as a Jew. He really never started any religion. The New Testament started between 70 years to 300 years after his death. There's all kinds of opinions. But even if we go on the 70 years, which is the minimal difference, we are talking four to five generations. The people who wrote the evangelists, Mark, John, Matthew, Luke, never saw JC. Everything they will tell us about him, we will have to either believe them or not. They cannot supply one proof to what they say. I can come and say that my grand-grandfather used to walk on water and he used to make magic and was a holy man. Everything I say, it's either yes or no, 50-50. We'll never have a proof for that. Now it's the question, do you want to believe me or not? Do you want to base your entire life based on a story like this or not? When we begin to review their books, we find so many contradictions. For instance, in one book, it describes all the generation from Joseph the carpenter all the way back in history to King David. And in another book they describe it, but there are more than 20 different mistakes. Over here it's described A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and over there it's a complete different orders with different names. What really happened in history? Is this the right way or is this the right way? Both of them cannot be correct. 
God doesn't make such contradictions in history, in generations, in the right order. It's impossible. Here is an example from Matthew 5. This is what J.C. tells his student. Do not think I came to contradict the Torah or the prophets. I did not come to contradict. I came to fulfill. I'm telling you today, if heaven and earth will be destroyed, you can still not erase one letter from the Torah. Even a part of the letter, they will all remain forever. Therefore, if someone will contradict one of the smallest commandments and will teach differently to others, will be cursed by the kingdom of heaven. Again, Matthew 5, 17 to 19, which means according to the hero of Christianity, which is J.C. himself, no one of his followers is allowed to modify the one instruction from the Torah. For instance, his followers are not allowed to eat pork because the Torah says it's forbidden. They are not allowed to violate the rules of the Sabbath. And many other examples. Obviously, we don't see Christians that follow the laws of the Torah. They have their own laws, which contradict completely the Torah. So what happened? If you're faithful to JC, why don't you listen to him? If he is the most important figure in Christianity, the mandatory thing would be that every Christian in the world, there's close to 2 billion Christians in the world, they will follow his instruction strictly. And yet we find that nobody listens to his orders. And it's clearly in the New Testament. This is, I gave two or three examples here. The truth is that I have hundreds of examples. And we don't have the time to show all of them. If you're interested, just go into my website, divineinformation.com, and you'll click the debate, and you watch a three-hour debate, and you're going to see many more examples of what human errors are considered. We move on. As one more last thing about uh, mistakes in the New Testament is that it says that the cave when Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is buried is in the city of Nablus. Shechem, Nablus. Everybody knows that it's in the city of Hebron. What happened to God? He doesn't remember where is the cave of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Is it possible such a thing? Is it possible that in a book that claimed to be the work of God will be such human errors? The answer, of course not. The conclusion is very simple. God never gave Quran. God never gave the New Testament. People wrote it. And people, as genius as they may be, they make mistakes, contradiction, because it's very difficult to write such a long book in one or two days. It takes weeks. And therefore, a person doesn't remember what he wrote a week ago, especially when he fakes this entire scenario. That's why it's full of human errors. However... When you review the 24 books of the Bible, from Genesis to the Songs of Songs, the five books of Moses, which is the main Torah, and then 19 other books who came after in a generation when the prophets were coming and adding more prophecies that God gave them, you will not be able to find any human errors. Now remember, the Torah is a combination of the written and the oral laws. Combination. You cannot understand one of the 613 commandments that the Torah gave the Jews without reviewing the oral laws. God separated between the written Torah to the oral Torah. The reason is because he did not want the entire world to have the secrets of his book. That's why he gave brief names of the commandments with no instruction how to do and verbally, he taught Moses how to do, what to do, and how to teach to others. The Jews kept it strictly all the years. It passed from father to son. It's very important to understand. The Torah gave 613 laws. It would be much easier to give an even number, 600, 700, 500. Why 613? The answer is the human body is a combination of 613 parts. 248 organs, 365 ligaments, which means if we review the Torah, we see 248 positive obligations, which means you should do, you should do, you should do. How many? 248. Each one connects to one organ in the body. 248 organs, 
248 obligations, commandments to do. How many ligaments in a body? 365 ligaments, the Torah says. And for each one of them, there is one restriction in the Torah. You should not kill, you should not steal, and so forth and so on. So it's a perfect match. Actually, the Torah says that first was the Torah, and then came the world. And God created the world based on reviewing the blueprint, which is his Torah. Torah in Hebrew means instructions. Instruction how to live, how to do business, how to get married, how to raise children, and many other instructions. That's called Torah. So we review the Torah. First, as I said, we have one Torah, not 150,000 and not even 200. It's one Torah all over the world. 304,805 ligaments. How do we know the Torah was given from God? Let's review it carefully. Please pay attention. When I come today to secular Jews, they don't keep any of the commandments and try to convince them to become observant of the instructions of the Torah. First reaction is, leave me alone. I'm happy with the way I am. I'm not interested to change. It's too difficult, you know. What would be the chance that I will speak to millions of people and uh, overnight all of them will become religious? I bring them a book. I say, God sent me. I'm the prophet. Every one of you has to listen to me. Here is the book. Here is your copy. Everybody has to change from one side to the other completely. What's the chance? Close to zero. Millions of people would agree right away. It's almost impossible. But yet in history, something like this did happen. Moses came to millions of people and he gave them a book and they all adopted the book and started to live according to the rules. How did it happen? We have to understand. We have to investigate. We use our common sense. If we review the 613 laws, we find, first of all, that some of them are difficult to keep. It's not so easy. And we also find that approximately 80% of them, not only we cannot understand in a human logic, it's actually some of them are against human logic. For instance, the, the entire concept of the sacrifices. A person make a scene, the animal supposedly paying the price. People cannot understand. Where is this? It's not fair. One commandment in the Torah, if you see a bird in a nest, get rid of the mother, send her away and take the eggs or the, or the chicks and put them somewhere and thanks to that you should have long life. Doesn't make sense. Nobody, first of all, it looks like cruelty and second, what's the connection between this to long life? Nobody understands. Make sure once a year you clean your house from breadcrumbs and every chametz, everything that made from the five kinds of grains should not be in your house for the, for the days of Passover. Nobody understands the logic. Many other examples. Some of the commandments are very logical. You should not kill, you should not steal, respect your father and mother. Everybody understands that. But for that, you didn't really need Torah. It's common sense. I am talking about the major part of the Torah where most of it, it cannot be understood. And some of it, it's against our thinking. The answer to that is very simple. If Moses, God forbid, was a faker or anybody who was trying to write the Torah, the first thing he would do, he will bring a very easy book to keep, not to make people rebel against him. He should make the people be interested to accept this change in their life. Why should they make it too difficult? Give five or six commandments. Make sure they understand that you're the leader and you're the boss here. They give you some charity, donations, whatever, and finished. Why you make such a hard thing? You're actually defeating your own purpose, if you're a faker. Second thing is, you brought some of the commandments that risk your life. I'll give an example, one or two. When Moses gave them the book, this is the only book in history that the book that was given to the public supposedly by God, right? Everybody claimed that God gave them a book after. But here we have millions of witnesses that are receiving a book from Moses. When they open up the book and they read, who are they reading about? About themselves. No other book, no other religious book lay there address the people who are 
receiving it as part of the book. The Jews are the integral part of the book. Most parts of the Torah describing what happened to them in Egypt, in the exodus of Egypt, and even describing how they accept the Torah. If the hundred miracles that describes in the Torah, when some of them are against all odds, blood in Egypt, frogs everywhere, hail are falling from heaven, every firstborn Egyptian is falling and dying, the ten plagues, and the exodus of Egypt, the Jews are going through, and the Egyptians with their heavy army are drowning, and then bread is falling from heaven, and, and so many miracles described there. When the Jews receive the Torah, all they have to do is to find one human error in a book. Who knows better than them what really happened in reality? Since the book describing what happened to the Jews themselves, and they are the one who are reviewing it now, the first thing they had to do is raise their hand, excuse me, Moses, what is this dream? You brought us this book, you claim that God gave it to you, very fine. But when we review it, there are things that never happened to us. It says that we were in Egypt. I don't remember we were in Egypt. It says that God split the ocean for us and we went through. I don't remember such a thing. It says that I'm receiving bread from heaven every day. I don't receive it. But the most important critical thing here, that inside the Torah it described that God is speaking to Moses himself. And all the nation of Israel is listening to this dialogue. If Moses was pretending that somebody is whispering in his ear, and he pretends that he's answering back, yeah, you have the, you're right, maybe it's all a show. But here, inside the text, it says that all of you, all of you that I'm giving you today the book, all of you heard me, Moses, speaking to God. Yes or no? No other way. If you heard me, I cannot fake such a thing. I cannot fake conversation with God. God is speaking to me from heaven. So that means all of you heard. No questions asked. You don't need proofs anymore. God nominate me to be the leader. If one of you did not hear me, then he would scream to everyone, I'm sorry, I never heard. And that's the first mistake in the Torah. Judaism will never start. Nobody will agree, especially when they were trying to do everything to avoid. Nobody wants now hard work and to change his life completely. Yet, it becomes even more sophisticated. Thousands of thousands of them were married to their aunts. Which means your father is, let's say, 40, and you are 20, and your father has a young sister, she's 18, and you want to marry her, no problem. There are people who get married when they're cousins, they still get married until this day. So before the Torah was given, it was perfectly legal to marry your aunt. Your father has a young sister, you like her, you grew up together in the same environment, why not to marry her? You know her very well. So, thousands of thousands of the Jews were married to their aunts. When Moses gave them the Torah and they opened it up, one of the commandments, the restrictions was, you should not marry your aunt, you should not touch her. She's forbidden to you. Now remember, keep in mind that many of them had 10 or even more children at that time. So now they just found out they cannot touch their wives. This is a real tragedy for them. People like this, that just found out that basically their personal life is over. They would cooperate with Moses, or they'll do everything they can to destroy him before he will destroy them, supposedly. The answer is, of course, they will try to resist him. But in reality, all the nation of Israel changed overnight. And until these days, Jews all over the world following these instructions and giving it from generation to generation. All it needed to be is one of them would raise his hand and say, I'm very sorry. This, all these things did not happen. You want me to divorce my wife? So the answer is no. It's not that I want you. God gave me this book and I'm only passing it to you. The most bizarre thing that we can think of, that even Moses' father, Amram, was married to Yocheved, which was his aunt. Would Moshe go against his own parents? It gets even better. When Moses went up to the mountain, he told them, prepare. 
prepare everything for me. I'm giving you the Torah. We will get the Torah. Actually, three days before, God told him, prepare everyone to be holy, to rinse themselves in water, not to touch their wives, to prepare for the acceptance of the Torah. This is seven weeks after the exodus of Egypt. So, they prepare meat. They slaughter cows, sheep. They prepare tons of meat. To feed millions of people, you need thousands of cows and sheep. When Moses brought them the Torah, this is the holiday of Shavuos, they just found out that all the meat that they prepare for the holiday, it's not kosher. They cannot use it because it was slaughtered with a regular knife. They didn't know the law of slaughtering yet. So they had to throw perhaps millions of dollars into the garbage as the beginning, before they even get into the Torah right away to get rid of all the meat. And that's what they had to do, and that's what they did. And that's why in Jewish custom until today for 3,320 years every year, the Jews eat dairy food on the holiday of Shavuot. Why? There was no time to prepare new meat. You have to slaughter the animal, to put salt, to wait until all the blood comes out. It's hours. It takes a long time. There was no time. The holiday started. So that's a custom that has been transferred from generation to generation. When we review the Torah in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we find something very interesting. The Torah says, God says to the Jews, one day, if you're not going to be faithful to me and will not keep my laws, I will spread you in all the nations, in all the countries, as we can see today. I will spread you in all the nations and only very few of you will remain. As I'm directing you in different countries, God says. And over there, you will follow, you will follow false religion. The religion of the wood and the religion of the stone. What does it mean, the religion of the wood, the religion of the stone? The answer is, the symbol of Christianity is the wood cross. That's what the Christians say, knock on wood. The symbol of Islam is the stone in Saudi Arabia, in Mecca, the city of Mecca. There's a big rock there. They all go there every year in the Ramadan. It's very interesting. Because the Torah already 1,300 years before Christianity started and, and almost 2,000 years before Islam, the Torah already speaking that the Jews would live in countries that people worshipping false religions. You may think that I did not supply you with the right sufficient proof. So it gets a little bit further. What does it say? We have equal mathematical skip inside the text. Code. Codes are hidden inside the text. An equal minimal skip of 50 letters. Inside the letters, the CD, Mecca, Mem, Kaf, Hey in Hebrew, three letters, appears in equal skip between the Mem, the Chaf, and the Hay. In this verse, it gets even better. The word Yeshu, which means Jesus, Yud, Shin, Vav, three letters, appear in the same verse in equal mathematical skip of 50. Yud, Shin, and Vav. Two words that symbolize Christianity and Islam are hidden inside the text of the Torah close to 2,000 years before they came. Is it possible for a human being to write a book and give it to people and inside write that there will be a person named Jesus and a city called Mecca and that symbolize two phony man-made religion? Is it possible? What person would know such a thing? The answer is no person, only the creator of the world. We move on. As my next example, the Torah said to the Jews, be very careful, do not modify the Torah, do not add one word, one letter, or do not erase one letter. This is in Deuteronomy chapter 4. So, it's very interesting because over the generation, the Jews knew that it's subject to penalty and severe punishment. They were very careful to copy it in the original way. Once every seven years, the king or the leaders would gather the people in groups and go over the entire Torah and make sure that nobody copy it wrong. And there was one exceptional here and there. They were matched their Torah to the majority of the people and see that they have a mistake. And they 
they fixed the mistake immediately, and that's how they kept the Torah in the original way. And one of the very interesting things is we review in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 32 to 35, this is what he says. God said to the Jews, go and check in history. From the time God created Adam on earth, from one side of the world to the other side of the world, did a nation ever heard the voice of God speaking to him from the fire with magics and strong hands? Did God ever try to take a group of people from a larger group of people and to make him, to make a covenant between him and them? Did it ever happen? It will never happen. There's a promise right here in the Torah that God promised to the Jews, even though there will be many people who come later on and fake a beginning of a new religion, I, God, will make sure that the stories of these people will only be a story of one individual with no witnesses. I will prevent in any way that this person will bring any witnesses to back up the story. Even though we know it's a lie, you still can fake and bring two phony witnesses to back up your story by teaching them what to say. God say, trust me, I will never let it happen. Why? I don't want to confuse my nation, the Jews. You are the only one who witnessed the event of receiving the Torah. Your prophet Moses received it. And you witnessed the event. And you heard the voice of God. Soon we're going to see how Moses was basically not interested to get the mission that God gave him. And only after God assured him that he's going to bring him in front of everyone and speak to him, everybody will believe in him forever. So the Torah promise... Nobody will ever start a religion with witnesses. Now, as I told you before, more than 80,000 times people came and claimed that they have a new religion. Well, not once they could think about bringing few witnesses. How can it be? The answer is the Torah made a guarantee. If one of them would bring a group of witnesses and bribe them, we will have a very serious problem in the Torah because the Torah promised something like this will not happen. Do you know of a book that was written by a human being, by a person that can promise such a thing for the next 3,000 years? What person has such ability to write in a book and give it to millions? I will prevent any other religion to start from more than one person. Do you think a person is capable of promising such a thing? The answer is absolutely not. The next proof is, as I said before, uh, God says to Moses, anyway, the nation of Israel will not believe me. They'll tell me, we don't believe that God sent you to take us out of Egypt. When we think about it, God should have been upset. He should have told Moses, why don't you just listen to my orders and trust me? Just do what I tell you. That's not what he says. He actually agreed with his claim. And he told him something very interesting. He told him, I'm coming to you from the clouds around the mountain and I will speak to you and after they hear my voice speaking to you, they will believe in you for eternity. And that's exactly what happened. From here, just from here alone, it's clear 100% that every other religion and cult that started after with the story of one individual could never be real. Never ever. Why? God is not interested to give a new religion or a new prophecy to someone whispering in his ears or in a closed room. The opposite. God told Moses, you're right about your claim. I will speak to you in front of everyone because I'm interested that they will follow my laws and my orders for their own benefit. Why will I hide with you somewhere and whisper it to your ear that they all will have 50% doubt forever if it really happened or not? So we see that God's idea was to give the, his truth to the people publicly. Not like Mary came in a dream and nobody can ever prove it. Or like Muhammad came from the desert and claimed he got it from the angel Gabriel. With no witnesses whatsoever. Or Buddha came 2,400 years ago and claimed he saw the light. Nobody ever witnessed that event. And so forth and so on. As I move on. 
I move to the next proof. You know, when we review the Torah, the obligations to the nation of Israel is different than what people think. When you ask a person, do you believe in God? Some say yes, some say no, some say I'm not sure, some say 90%, some people say I have some doubts. There's all kinds of opinions. The Torah never obligated the Jews to believe in God. The opposite. In science, believing means not knowing. When a person says, I believe in something 70%, he actually said, I do not believe in that something 30%. If you say, I believe 99%, that means you still have 1% doubt. But the Torah did not say to believe in God. The Torah said to know that God exists. To know that He gave the Torah. To know that He's the boss of everything. To know that everything that happens in this creation needs His approval. Nothing can happen without His decision if it should happen or not. Nothing whatsoever. All these obligations appear, appear in the Torah in the language you should know, not you should believe. I can give some examples in Exodus 6, you should know I'm your God. And in Exodus 17, you should know I'm your God. And in Exodus 31, you should know it's a sign between me and you for generations to know that I am your God, not to believe, to know. And Deuteronomy 4, it says, your eyes saw to know that God is the master. Deuteronomy 4, it says, you should know today and return it into your heart that God is the only one, there was no other before him and there will never be another one after him. So obviously we see the entire obligation is speaking about knowledge. Uh, we can see also from the kings and from the prophets, uh, the prophet Yeheskel, uh, Ezekiel, he says, you should know I'm your God. And uh, Jeremiah say, I gave them a heart to know me, that I am their God. Joshua chapter 4, you should, that all the nations should know the hand of God, should know, not believe. And many other examples. There's only one time in the entire Bible that God is using the word belief. Very interesting. This is in Isaiah 43, verse 10. It says, you should know and believe me and understand that I am your God. There was no other God before me and there will never be another. So what's the right order? First, you should know. 100% knowledge, not belief. And then believe that everything I promise eventually is going to happen. And then you will understand one day, not necessarily immediately, it will take maybe time, but this is the right order. Knowledge, belief, and understanding. So, now we have a big question. If God order me and everyone here in this creation to know him, to know he's the boss, to know he gave us the Torah and all this. I cannot prove his existence with my five senses. I cannot see him. I cannot smell him. I cannot taste him. I cannot touch him and I cannot hear him. So my five senses, I was created with five senses. I operate every day with those five senses. They help me to function. And yet we see that with these five senses, there's no way for me to prove that God exists. So what's going on here? The answer is, there are many, many things in our life that we trust 100%, even though it cannot be proven with the five senses. For instance, radio waves. Almost everything from our life is affected by radio waves. You get on a plane, you land in the other side of the world, the plane finds its destination through radio waves, radar, radio waves. Can you prove with the five senses they exist? I'm not talking the new technology that they made today. All the generation, could you prove radio waves exist? No, but everybody understands they do. Why? Somebody in Los Angeles speaks, and a minute later, everybody in New York, a second later, everyone in New York is watching him live. How did it get from L.A. to the box here in your living room? Through the air. What is it? We don't know. But we know for sure there's something that transmits broadcasting from one place to the other. Or intelligence. 
Can you prove with the five senses if intelligence exists? One uh, Jewish kid in Russia in the communist days, the teacher over there say, we don't believe in religion, we are communist. Whatever cannot be proven with the five senses does not exist. So this little Jewish boy got up and said, in that case, you don't have any intelligence. And she said, why are you having this, the nerve to talk to your teacher like this? And he said, I'm very sorry, I'm not trying to be rude. Based on what you just said, can we prove with the five senses where is your intelligence? Show it to me. If a person de is dead and they open up his brain, will he be able to point right here? That's where he was collecting all his information and all his intelligence? Of course not. It's something spiritual. We cannot point in the body where is the intelligence. Does that mean it doesn't exist? Of course not. And many other examples. How do we, after all, know 100% that God exists and he gave us the Torah? So we go back to what we started. First, the brilliance of the creation leaves no doubt that it had to be a creator. The more sophisticated is the creator, is the creation, it indicates about the brilliance of the creator. Did you ever find something in life that was created by someone without a purpose? A table has a purpose, a laptop computer has a purpose, a camera has a purpose, a light has a purpose, everything has a purpose. We will never find one thing in life that doesn't have a purpose. Nobody ever made something for no purpose. First, the creator think about what he wants, what he needs, and based on that he decides how to create what he needs. Based on that, based on the requirements. There's an order in a creation. So... The most sophisticated things in nature is the human being. We are the most advanced machine in all life. We control all the animals. We use them for our benefits, trees, everything that we have. It was all created for us. Is it possible to think that God created us for no purpose, just put us here just to live like animals? In that case, why he didn't make us animals? What was the, the purpose of our creation? And the answer is, when we review the Torah, we get the answers to all these questions. So we know the creation is very sophisticated. It indicates about the brilliance of the Creator. We understand that we were created for a purpose, but we don't know yet what's the purpose. We don't know yet. We will know soon. Not as of yet. And we continue to review. We have ways of investigations that we can analyze things through our head. For instance... Judaism said that there are three different categories of thinking, of knowledge. One called Chokhmah, intelligence. One called Bina, which means wisdom. And one called Da'at. That means the ability to translate what you learn and what you gain with knowledge and actually translate it to actions, which means to control your desires and choose the right things that needs to be done to eliminate, sometimes it needs to be eliminate your feelings and to think rationally what needs to be done at this given moment. There are three different things. Intelligence is very easy. You hear the story and you understand. Go ten blocks, make a right, three blocks, make a left, and so forth and so on. Wisdom is the ability. That means, the Bina means the ability to get things out of the story that were not told to you clearly. Which means they say uh, 2 times x equals 6. We know that x is 3. How do we know? We have a way to investigate. Nobody ever told us that. They say on the radio that somebody killed somebody and the police found uh, mud on the rug. We know it was a rainy day. Nobody said it on the news we are able to find the missing details in a story. That's called Bina, the ability to know one thing from the other. That is the most important thing, which means the Torah says, if you have it, if you reach that level, you are the most perfect human being on earth. If you don't have it, you have nothing. What do you mean? I have buildings, I have real estate, I have, I have cars, I have jewelry. It counts nothing. Why you don't have Da'at means the ability to control your desires and not being an animal, being a human being with a free choice and express it to the right direction. You don't have it, you have nothing, the Torah says. Torah says, but if you have it, you don't have maybe a house, you don't have a car, maybe you don't have money, 
you hardly have clothes to wear, but you have that, you are fulfilling your purpose in life, which further we're going to discuss this uh, even more.